Hey everybody, welcome to the first episode of Props and Hops. If you like betting and beer, you've come to the right place. My name's Matt Landis, and I spend a lot of time listening to my favorite sports betting podcasts. So on this show, I'll take all that information and distill it down to the most actionable takeaways. I'll also talk some beer and recap some bets in each episode, but for now, let's dive into some football talk with a segment called What We're Hearing. Loud noises! And loud noises are just about everywhere when it comes to sports betting content these days, so the goal for this show is to isolate the signal from all the noise. As a starting point, I turn to my favorite sports betting podcasts. Now, just because they're my favorite doesn't mean I'll always agree with what they have to say, but I think we can all find value in appreciating the insight they provide. Let's kick things off with the simple handicap with Adam Chernoff. Adam's been doing team previews every weekday morning, and this past Monday, he broke down the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, his number nine team in the NFL, entering the season. From a market perspective, Tampa Bay's regular season win total opened in February at 7.5 flat, and now it's at 9.5 at most shops, juice to the over. This, of course, came after Tom Brady came to Tampa Bay, Rob Gronkowski came out of retirement, and the Bucks spent a first-round draft pick on an offensive tackle in Tristan Wirfs to fortify the offensive line. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not so sure that Brady, Gronk, and a rookie offensive tackle are worth more than two wins, as the market implies, by jumping the season win total up from 7.5 to 9.5 juice to the over. From a Super Bowl odds standpoint, the Bucks opened north of 50-1, to 1, and now you can get them... Well, less than 15 to 1 across the board at most shops, that's a hard pass for me. Adam mentioned he's been hearing people compare the Bucks to last year's Browns in terms of preseason hype, and he noted that that's off base in the sense of Tampa Bay not being as dysfunctional as Cleveland has been as an organization, but I do think that sentiment could be right in the sense that the Bucks could similarly underachieve relative to the market expectation. Digging into the Bucks as a team, Adam intentionally buried the lead by beginning with their defense. He called out their boomer bust secondary, noting there's plenty of pedigree, but not much experience to go around. That said, if we're talking Tampa Bay football in 2020, the offense has to be the lead story. The quarterback's perhaps the greatest of all time, Gronk came out of retirement to reunite with Brady, they're bursting with talent at wide receiver, and head coach Bruce Arians is a brilliant offensive mind. All that said, Tom Brady is 43 years old, and if we look at his three-year trend line, the age is starting to show. Brady's showing a consistent decline in terms of adjusted completion rate when it comes to passing under pressure, passing from a clean pocket, and passing downfield. And it could be an uphill battle to correct this trend with a switch to a new offense. Arians is aggressive by nature, and that might be a square peg, round hole type of fit given Brady's current form. And even if Arians curtails his aggression, it's still no guarantee things will click for Brady in Tampa Bay at this stage of his career. Getting to the bottom line, the Bucks look like a high-variance team on both sides of the ball, and it wouldn't be a shock to see them reach the Super Bowl or finish with a losing record. I think the key factor here is that the market doesn't appear to be fully accounting for that latter scenario. So in terms of what that means for my betting approach, I'm looking at a split ticket, regular season wins under 10 at minus 126, and an alt under 8.5 wins at plus 220. I'm putting two-thirds of the amount on that under 10, and the remaining one-third on the under 8.5. 
As a quick note, I'm placing fewer and smaller regular season win total bets this season, just given the uncertainty of a full season. I'll keep my fingers crossed that testing continues to go well across the league, but for now I am looking to limit my exposure on potentially interest-free loans to sportsbooks so that my bankroll can go to better use. Aside from the regular season wins market, I'll also be looking to play against Tampa Bay early in the season, so long as the market has them pegged as a better team than I think they really are. Moving on to Tuesday's episode of the Simple Handicap and the 10th ranked team in Adam's preseason ratings, the Cleveland Browns. Adam made a bold statement off the top, saying that he sees the potential for Cleveland to exceed market expectation by a greater amount than any other team this coming season. From a market perspective, the Browns' regular season win number opened at 8.5 shaded slightly to the over, and now you can find it shaded to the under. There's been tons of hype on Cleveland in betting circles for the past several years, but that seems to have come to a head last year with a lot of people ready to give up on the Browns, and we'll get to one of them later in the show. Sticking with Adam's breakdown for now and looking at Cleveland as a team, the key to moving past their historical dysfunction Looks like it's going to be Kevin Stefanski replacing Freddie Kitchens as head coach. I'm inclined to agree with Adam on that point, with Freddie Kitchens having been my biggest reason for my biggest preseason bet last year on the Browns' regular season win total to come in under. Looking at the players and starting with quarterback Baker Mayfield, we have all kinds of data showing us that he benefits significantly from play action and heavy personnel. That's two running backs and or two tight ends on the field with him. Kitchens seemed oblivious to this last season, with the Browns ranking near the bottom of the league and using play action and heavy personnel, but Stefanski is already on board with this. As the Vikings offensive coordinator in 2019, Stefanski oversaw Minnesota's offense that came in in the top five in the league using both play action and heavy personnel, and the rest of the Browns roster seems like a great fit for this scheme with multiple threats at both running back and tight end. From a scheduling standpoint, and I take that with a big grain of salt because it's really hard for us to say with any accuracy just how tough a schedule is prior to each season. Adam says he sees the biggest jump he's tracked in a decade in terms of the Browns jumping from a difficult slate of opposing secondaries to a much easier slate of opposing secondaries. So we could see a big step forward from a Browns offense using a better scheme against easier opposition. Getting to the bottom line with the Browns, They were hyped in 2019 because of big-name talent, and it still seems like it's in place. What's different this year? Not as much dysfunction, an easier schedule, and a much cheaper price if you want to play on the Browns before the season kicks off. And that ties right in with my betting approach. My favorite preseason bet this year is Cleveland to make the playoffs at plus 125. Plus 115 is still pretty easily gettable without much shopping around, and I'd make it a go at that price as well, especially with the NFL expanding each conference's playoff field to seven teams. I also support the logic behind a regular season win total over for Cleveland, and if you're feeling really ambitious, maybe not quite as high on Baltimore or Pittsburgh, you could also look at the alt-over market for Cleveland running a much more efficient offense this season with Kevin Stefanski at the helm. Moving on to Wednesday morning's edition of the Simple Handicap, a bit of a surprise with Adam checking in with the Detroit Lions as his 11th ranked team heading into 2020. Adam led off the episode noting that he sees a wide range of possible outcomes for Detroit, but what it comes down to is he sees the Lions as having the highest upside in the NFC North. From a market standpoint, the Lions regular season win total opened at 6.5 flat, and it's taken a jump up 
currently at 7, shaded to the over. The Super Bowl odds followed a similar trajectory, opening at about 100 to 1, down now to a consensus of about 65 to 1. From a team standpoint, Adam sees a lot of signs pointing to positive regression for the Lions this season and negative regression for the rest of the division. Looking at Detroit, the Lions held a lead in the second half of each of their first 13 games last year, but somehow only managed to win three of them. They also came in near the bottom of the league in turnover differential and games lost to injury, and that last note is magnified by the fact that eight of those games lost to injury belong to starting quarterback Matthew Stafford. In 2020, there's plenty of talent and continuity across the offense, so the Lions could reach a lot of the perceived upside. On the defense, though, there's a lot of question marks for Detroit. There's a talented secondary, but not much in the way of a pass rush, and I'm not sure Adam's giving full weight to the potential downside of the Lions' defense. I also don't recall him mentioning the coaching staff, but personally, I'd peg head coach Matt Patricia as a potential liability for the Lions this season. Bottom line, Detroit's looking like a high-variance team in 2020. The market started to see the upside, but it looks like they're overall still weighing the downside disproportionately by only having the Lions favored in four games. So while Adam might be exceedingly high on Detroit, the defense and coaching do give me some pause, I still see his reason for optimism. When that comes to my betting approach, I think I'm going to be with Adam looking to bet on the Lions early in the season. The ship has sailed on their futures numbers, but the point spreads may offer some value if the market proves slow to adjust. I'll also look toward overs in Lions games this season given the optimism around their offense and some skepticism for their defense. The Lions' Week 3 game against Arizona looks particularly promising in this regard, with the Deep Dive podcast circling that matchup as one to look for an over if we see the total open around 48.5 or below, so I'll keep that near the top of my shopping list over the coming weeks. Moving on to Thursday's episode of The Simple Handicap and a reluctant number 12 in the league, the Buffalo Bills. Adam called out Buffalo as a team with a low ceiling and a high floor, and the market would seem to agree. The Bills' regular season win number open at 9 flat, and it's pretty much stayed right there, with their Super Bowl odds down slightly from 25-1 to 1 as an opener to a current number of 22-1. to 1. Looking at the Bills as a team, there's lots of continuity on both sides of the ball, and Stephon Diggs could prove to be a major addition to the offense. Adam pegs the Bills as a team that would be great with an average quarterback, but he's down on Josh Allen. He notes that Allen had the highest rate in the league of uncatchable passes last season, and for all his arm strength, he finished 33rd in adjusted completion percentage on deep passes. And yes, that's 33rd in a league with just 32 teams. In spite of that, Adam showed some faith in offensive coordinator Brian Dable taking some of the pressure off of Allen, similar to what he's seen Sean McVay do with Jared Goff with the Rams. On defense, Adam pegs the Bills as a team with a strong secondary, but questions their ability to generate a pass rush, and so their bottom line looks like a good team with good continuity, but a big liability at quarterback and a potential liability on defense when it comes to making opposing quarterbacks uncomfortable. I feel like Adam showed a lot of faith in an offensive coordinator to mask some big weaknesses from the quarterback. By ranking the Bills 12th, he seems to be leaning a little bit more toward Buffalo's ceiling than their floor in my eyes, but from a betting standpoint, I'm not going to do much to bet against that at this point. Instead, I'll plan to monitor what Dable can do with Allen on offense and see how the pass rush develops on defense. 
Moving on to Friday and the number 13 team in Adams' rankings, the Pittsburgh Steelers. By ranking the Steelers 13th, Adams clearly not as high on them as some others are, but he's not necessarily that low. Adam made it clear that he sees little separation between a lot of the teams outside the very top and the very bottom of his rankings, so there's a lot of room for maneuverability for the Steelers throughout the 2020 season. Looking at the market, Pittsburgh's regular season win total opened at 9.5 flat, and the VIG has shot up to at least minus 135, with the Steelers' Super Bowl odds also coming down from 28-1 to at open to 25-1 to at the time of this recording. Looking at the Steelers as a team, there's no way around it. They're polarizing right now. They're coming off a Dickensian 2019 season. I don't know if Dickensian's a word, but I think of it as a best-of-times-worst-of-times kind of season they had, and we remember the worst. They lost Ben Roethlisberger right out of the gates, But let's not forget the best, all the things that went in their favor, and I think Adam does a really good job of laying that out. He referenced a FaceTime football episode that he did this offseason with Lockie Lockerson, and as a quick aside, if you don't subscribe to Adam's text message service already, I'd highly recommend that you do so. In the FaceTime football episode Adam referenced, Lockie made a strong case for the regular season win totals to come in under for the Steelers. And his first point was takeaways. Pittsburgh finished 15 takeaways above league average last year, and that's the highest Lockie's found for any season on record, and takeaways have a strong tendency to regress to the mean. The Steelers do have plenty of talent on defense, but fumble luck was a big part of those takeaways last season. They recovered five fumbles above expectation, and by that metric, they were the luckiest team in the NFL. Looking at field goals, the Steelers also got lucky in 2019. They were the fourth luckiest team in the league in terms of the differential and percentage between field goals that they made against field goals that their opponents missed. There's obviously a big positive coming back in 2020, though. Getting Ben Roethlisberger back under center is indisputably a big upgrade over Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges. And even with a liability at quarterback last season, the Steelers managed to win eight games, so it's understandable that there would be some optimism for more wins with Big Ben getting back under center. What's not indisputable, though, is just how well Big Ben's going to play in 2020. I think there's a lot more variance in this equation than some people are accounting for. Looking at some of the pros, yes, he's experienced and accomplished. A two-time Super Bowl winner, and his last full season in the league in 2018, Adam notes that Roethlisberger led the NFL in passing yard. But the outlook isn't entirely rosy for Big Ben in his return. In that 2018 season when he led the league in passing yards, he had Antonio Brown at his disposal and still only finished 15th in passer rating and 13th in yards per attempt. And of course, Big Ben's coming off Tommy John surgery at 38 years old. I know he's not a pitcher, but I still think it's fair to question his arm strength and his accuracy, especially as he works his way back into form. By extension, I think it's also fair to question just how good this Steelers offense can really be in 2020. Bottom line for Pittsburgh, we're looking at a team with a wide range of possible outcomes. If Big Ben's back in peak form and the defense sustains its 2019 performance, the Steelers can absolutely contend in the AFC. That said, if Big Ben isn't close to 100% and the indicators for regression on defense hold true, it could be tough for the Steelers to improve much on last season's 8-8 record. So when it comes to the betting approach, there's nothing in pocket for now with the Steelers, but it's going to be very telling to see how Big Ben looks early in the season. That covers this week's slate for the Simple Handicap, so now let's move on to Deep Dive with Andy and the Whale. 
The Deep Dive podcast has been doing division previews each of the past few weeks, and this week the focus went on the NFC East. Monday's episode, Washington and the Giants. Kicking it off with Washington, the guys were bullish. From a coaching standpoint, Washington gets some much-needed stability with Ron Rivera and his staff replacing Jay Gruden's largely incompetent regime. I don't recall the deep dive mentioning Rivera's recent cancer diagnosis, and that will challenge the staff, but it's still an upgrade over the previous regime, and fortunately Rivera's prognosis sounds positive, so hopefully he can be strongly involved throughout most of the season. Looking at the roster, Washington can only see better production from quarterback in 2020 than it did in 2019. Dwayne Haskins was thrown to the Wolves last year, and he gets a fair crack at everything this season, working with the ones from the get-go. Plus, we know at wide receiver, he has a nice playmaker to go to in Terry McLaurin. On defense, number two overall draft pick Chase Young fortifies an already solid defensive line. So while Washington has question marks across the offensive line and the second and third levels of its defense, that's already baked into their price and then some. The schedule could be tough with a difficult non-division draw in the AFC North and the NFC West, but from a betting approach, I'm looking to get on Washington where it makes sense. The deep dive talked about a flyer on Washington to make the playoffs at 7-1, to and I'm not quite there at that number, but I am on the Washington regular season win total over 5 at minus 130. That number is more widely available at minus 140, and I'm still good with that price, but I'd encourage you to shop around. The win total for Washington, showing as high as 6.5 at some books, with some natural fluctuation in the VIG to go along with that. Aside from the regular season win total market, I'm also on select look-aheads for Washington, specifically the deep dive mentioned Week 9 off the bye, Washington's a home dog to the Giants right now. I'm with them there, having locked in a ticket on Washington plus one in that matchup. Moving on from the Washington football team to New York's NFC football team of New Jersey, the deep dive was much more bearish when it came to the Giants. From a coaching standpoint, hiring Joe Judge is likely to go down as a reach, and might even be a downgrade from the previous head coach, Pat Shermer. At quarterback, Daniel Jones didn't do much of anything consistently last season, except for showing an inability to protect the ball, and a shaky offensive line with two rookie tackles, protecting a quarterback with a fumbling problem, that could be a recipe for disaster. Defensively, it's not looking much less disastrous with an utter dearth of talent across the board. Schedule-wise, like Washington, the Giants got a tough draw with the AFC North and the NFC West, Plus, they drew two sets of back-to-back road games, and even in division, they'll get Washington and Philadelphia both off their buys in consecutive weeks. So from a betting standpoint, Wales on the Giants' regular season win alt-under 4.5 at plus 236, and Andy, if not both guys, are on the Steelers laying 3.5 at the Giants on Monday Night Football in Week 1. Now, I'm not high enough on Pittsburgh to get there yet, But I like the point they made that the road team disadvantage, so to speak, should be neutralized in Week 1, with the Steelers not coming off a game in the previous week. But there could be a potential fly in the ointment there, and that's travel logistics during a pandemic. This will be new territory in Week 1, so there's a degree of uncertainty there, and I'll probably just wait to see how it plays out. The Deep Dive guys did call out a Week 6 spot with New York hosting Washington, currently lined at Giants minus 4, and they seem pretty firmly convinced it's going to close under a field goal. I can see the logic there, and I'll give this one consideration, possibly looking to be in play on Washington against the Giants in both matchups this season before Week 1 kicks off. On Wednesday's episode, the Deep Dive took a look at some good teams, the Eagles and the Cowboys. 
looking at Philadelphia, the analysis was a bit of a mishmash, but overall the guys seemed neutral on the Eagles. They noted there should be a solid roster across the board, starting with a wide receiver core that was wrecked by injuries last season, but some offseason moves and even the most remote increase in injury luck should shore up the position group. On defense, the Eagles have a strong pass rush that'll test opposing offenses, but there are some question marks on the secondary and along the offensive line, so I'm not sure it's really going to be a solid roster across the board. Plus, quarterback looking like a wild card for the Eagles this season, with Carson Wentz's ability to stay healthy in question, and Jalen Hurts' ability to step in if needed and play well enough to keep them in contention, possibly a question mark as well. From a betting standpoint, the deep dive pegged the Eagles as having a narrow range of possible outcomes, and that's an interesting conclusion after discussing the starting quarterback's injury history at length, but Hertz does have the pedigree, and he would also be stepping into a solid supporting cast, including a good coaching staff and a front office with continuity plus the experience needed to overcome adversity. Keep in mind, these guys have already made a championship run after losing Wentz to injury during the season, so if Wentz goes down, the floor doesn't necessarily go down with him. The deep dive called it week two as a spot to look on the Eagles and the under, and in that week two matchup, the Eagles will be hosting the Rams. The deep dive isn't high on the Rams, and I get the look toward Philadelphia. I'll definitely give that consideration, especially because it'll be the first time traveling for the Rams, and they'll be going across the country during a pandemic to an unfamiliar setting on a slightly short week coming off Sunday Night Football to open the season. Now, the reason for the under notions is that the deep dive anticipates a high-scoring game on that Sunday night season opener between the Rams and Cowboys in Week 1. It's going to be a nationally televised game, and that could definitely skew the market if it is high-scoring. The over-under is currently at 50, the second-highest total on the Week 1 board. One potential issue I see there is that the Eagles' Week 1 game is against a division opponent in Washington. The familiarity between those NFC East rivals may suppress the offensive output, and that could keep the Week 2 total in check. So I don't have any bets involving the Eagles right now, but they will be a team worth watching as the season unfolds. Moving on to another team that's almost always worth watching, the Dallas Cowboys. The deep dive sees a lot of reason for positive regression in Dallas this season, calling out that the Cowboys' Pythagorean win total last year came out to 11, despite the fact the Cowboys only managed to go 8-8. Eight and eight. A lot of that could have been a result of their coaching, and they see a big upgrade with Mike McCarthy taking Jason Garrett's place. Dallas also has a strong offensive line, but beyond that, the deep dive at least gave a fair attempt to dump some cold water on the market's runaway train of enthusiasm for the Cowboys this season. The deep dive pointed out that Dallas was inconsistent on offense last year, and their defense can really be scored on, especially with the loss of Byron Jones and the linebacker tandem of Jalen Smith and Leighton Vander Esch being a potential liability in the eyes of the guys on the deep dive. If the linebacker tandem really does struggle, that could give the Cowboys a lot of difficulty stopping the run and make it an uphill battle for them to play from behind. Dallas is also thin across the offensive line and on defense. They've already lost prize acquisition defensive tackle Gerald McCoy for the entirety of the 2020 season. Another area that could go awry is Mike McCarthy in for Jason Garrett at head coach. He might not be any less of a figurehead for Jerry Jones than his predecessor. We'll have to wait and see there. And so with all that, I appreciate the effort by the deep dive to examine both sides of the coin, but some of the cold water they tried to dump on Dallas did feel a little forced. 
I really noticed that when defensive end Everson Griffin, who fell into their lap, is a steal to fortify the pass rush, hardly warranted more than an afterthought of a mention. And the guys did still conclude that Dallas is a team that should win double-digit games this season. From a betting standpoint, not much at the moment, similar to Philadelphia. Whale did say he's on the Cowboys to be the highest-scoring team in the league, and he's got either 10-1 to or 12-1 to on that bet. Not sure where their value is in that equation quite yet, so like Philadelphia, we'll see how the season unfolds, and if nothing else, the Cowboys should be a fascinating team to watch in 2020. Alright, so that's what I've got from this week's episodes of The Deep Dive, so let's move on to another podcast, The Dream Preview. The Dream Preview dropped a three-hour episode this week, and I think this is the podcast that's going to demand the most filtering, but there are edges to be found, and if nothing else, sharpening the critical thinking mindset is always worth the work. The first football topic on the Dream Preview this week, the NFL markets are at more of a standstill than they typically would be at this time of year. One of the glaring reasons for that, we're not getting any preseason games. Without any big news, there's not enough reason for the market to make big shifts, and also, in other sports, we're in the unprecedented situation where we've got the NBA and NHL playoffs going on, the condensed baseball season has added urgency to each game there, and I think the takeaway here is that while the market always overreacts to week one, that might be even more extreme this season due to a lack of real information prior to the NFL season kicking off. So I agree with the Dream Preview nailing that angle, and what we could see is a case of small recreational betters almost always giving too much weight to week one results. That likely isn't going anywhere. What could be moving in the market this season is the approach of sharper and bigger betters having to weigh week one more heavily than a typical first week because it'll account for a bigger share of available information when the time comes to wager for week two and beyond. So this magnifies the importance of being quick to adjust. Again, credit to the Dream Preview for digging deep into this factor. And taking it a step further on my end, I think the race to be first versus the race to be right could really unfold in unprecedented fashion this football season. For any adjustments you think are warranted, be prepared to act fast. And on the flip side, if you see the market moving the wrong way, this could be a great opportunity to be patient and let those small edges accumulate. Next up, the Dream Preview discussed home field advantage and how that could be different this coming season. The three biggest home field advantages due to crowd noise that they agreed on, the Vikings, the Saints, and the Seahawks. None of these teams will have fans in the stands, at least to start the season, and the implication there is that it's a relatively bigger hit to their home field advantages than it will be to the other teams who won't have fans when it's normally not as big of a noise factor in the first place. The guys also noted the Chiefs and Dolphins do plan to host fans at limited capacity to start the season, and not mentioned, but also the Cowboys, Colts, Jaguars, and Bucks plan to have fans in attendance from the get-go, so that could be a factor that isn't getting enough play in the market right now. In line with the first talking point, there haven't been any line adjustments yet for teams expected to host fans at their first home games, and Matt Holt questioned the value of teams having small numbers of fans. It's really not going to make a lot of noise, and I agree in that sense, but I think a hidden factor could be the effect of a subconscious home team bias in the referees. It's not a major factor, but even if it's just 
10 or 20,000 people as opposed to 60,000, that's still a sizable group of people that referees just subconsciously won't want to alienate. So for me, this won't turn a pass into a play, but if I'm on the fence about a bet, it's enough of a nudge to get me on the home team with fans or to stay off of a bet against a home team that's going to have fans. The Dream Preview also touched on the added dimension of the road team disadvantage with different types of travel this season. There's going to be a lack of access to familiar facilities and amenities on the road, and we can bank on the fact that some organizations will take this in stride and others won't. No surprise here if the Patriots handle it well and the Chargers have no idea what they're doing when they go on the road. So with travel being a big question mark this season, that's another area to anticipate a strong and rapid reaction from the market after each team's first road game. One point that RJ Bell brought up that was really sound, trips within the division should be less onerous. It's going to be a much bigger challenge when teams head into unfamiliar non-division environments where the logistical and operational strains are magnified. So just be mindful of road games not all being equal. If somebody's going out of division, that's likely to be much more impactful than if it's a familiar division opponent. Next up, the Dream Preview briefly touched on the Ravens' offense and how it might be a double-edged sword in a sense this season. On one hand, the AFC North opponents have a degree of familiarity that could better equip them to neutralize Lamar Jackson's unique talent, while unfamiliarity from non-division opponents could really magnify what Jackson can do. He's almost impossible to replicate in practice, so might be worth keeping in mind Baltimore is a team that could be a fade in division and more of a play on out of division. Next up, the Dream Preview touched on continuity, and that factor has been a common theme across the sports betting industry, and for good reason in such a disrupted offseason. RJ floated the idea of an index that could give a certain number of points for teams with a new head coach or a new coordinator on either side of the ball, or a new quarterback and any new offensive lineman. So the example he came to of a team that could struggle early would be Cleveland. They have a new head coach and a new-look offensive line, while adding Jack Conklin could be a major talent upgrade and a net positive along the offensive line over the course of the full season, we could see some growing pains early. And the Browns also have a new offensive coordinator plus a new defensive coordinator. I'm still bullish on them, but I see the logic here. It makes a lot of sense, and that does temper the enthusiasm a little bit when it comes to Cleveland in 2020. All right, so after talking through some high-level concepts, it was time to get into some specific bets on the Dream Preview, and Steve Fezzik led it off with a bet on the Titans to go over 8.5 regular season wins, laying $1.30. And first off, I'd like to throw out a general word of caution. When hearing anyone mention a bet, myself included, take the odds with a grain of salt and check them for yourself before betting. I don't think there's anything nefarious in play here, but Fezzik may be as good as there is, it, getting a bet at the best number you can find, you'd have to shop really well to find Tennessee over 8.5 at that minus 130 price point. Most likely, if you shop around, you'll find them in the minus 140 range. I also found it puzzling that Fezzik brought this up on the Dream Preview because he was just a lean on the Titans' regular season win total in the Even Money podcast that dropped just two days earlier, and we'll get to that episode in just a bit. But digging into this over bet, Fezzik said he's high on the team with Ryan Tannehill at quarterback, and he had a good point that Marcus Mariota starting under center to begin the 2019 season dragged down the season-long stats for the offense. According to Fezzik, Tannehill is clearly a top-10 quarterback, 
And I know some numbers from last year would support that, but I certainly don't see it playing out that way moving forward. We've seen plenty of mediocre quarterbacks go on nice runs down the stretch, only to regress to their true talent after that. And I think this is the latest example. To me, it seems to have Joe Flacco written all over it. But to Fezzik's credit, he downgraded the Titans' power rating by two points, anticipating some of that regression. And even with that downgrade, he still has Tennessee at two points better than the average team, and that equates to a nine-win team. His biggest concern, and this would be one of mine too if I were on the over, Derrick Henry coming off a monster workload in 2019. Including the playoffs, the Titans gave Henry 386 carries last season, and Week 17 was the kind of situation that might come back to haunt them. In that Week 17 game last season, the Titans had to win over Houston to secure their playoff spot, and they did, by 21 points in fact, and they led by at least two possessions for almost the entire fourth quarter, but despite that, they gave Henry the ball 32 times so that he could win the regular season rushing title. All those extra carries, plus 83 more carries in the playoffs at max intensity, resulted in Henry seeing 115 carries in the Titans' final four weeks. So yeah, if I were on the Tennessee over, I'd be concerned about that as well. Something else to consider, continuity does seem to work in Tennessee's favor overall, but they lost Conklin from the offensive line, and that should be a net downgrade, not only in the talent department over the course of the season, but also initially filling in a new role, that's going to mean some guys aren't on the same page from the get-go. And one thing that wasn't mentioned on the Dream Preview, on top of regression that we should see from Tannehill and Henry, I think Tennessee's luck in high-leverage moments is going to come crashing down to earth in 2020. Tennessee didn't just lead the league in red zone touchdown percentage last season, but at 77%, they led by a landslide. In fact, that 77% touchdown rate in the red zone is better than any other team I could track over the course of a full season, going back all the way to 2003. And the gap last year between Tennessee and number two, Green Bay, that was a gap of 10 percentage points. For context, that's the same gap between Green Bay and Carolina, which came in at number 15. So if anyone likes the Titans and wants to bet them over 8.5 wins at, let's say, a big free line of minus 115, hit me up and let's put some good beer on the line. Another bet from Steve Fezzik on this week's Dream Preview, Week 1, Green Bay, plus 3.5 at Minnesota. And for this handicap, it all boils down to home field advantage. Fezzik makes Minnesota 1.5 points better on a neutral field, and the Vikings won't have fans in the stands in Week 1, so in his eyes that diminishes the home field advantage to 2 points. So if we take half point better on the power rating, plus 2 points for home field advantage, in Fezzik's eyes this line should be 2.5. So at 3.5, there's value on Green Bay, but important to call out that 3.5 was a prevalent number early on. The current consensus line is 3. You'd have to pay a premium if you want to get the hook. To RJ's credit, he called this out, and with 3 really being the consensus line for this game, maybe there's a half point of value in the equation, but with home field advantage being a major question mark, I'll sit this one out for now. There was a bet that I'll give some strong consideration to, and that was Matt Holt staying in the NFC North in Week 1, Detroit minus 1.5 against Chicago. There wasn't a lot of information behind the handicap on the podcast, but I do like this look better than both of Fezzik's bets because I see a lot of reason for optimism with the Lions going back to the simple handicap, which we talked about earlier. And so 1.5 for Detroit minus Chicago in Week 1, definitely something to mull over. And now, jumping from one Steve Fezzik podcast to another, 
even money with Ross Tucker and Steve Fezzik. I primarily listen to this to get Fezzik's bets and insights, and on Tuesday's episode, Ross Tucker and Steve Fezzik dove into AFC win totals. But before we get to that, a quick note to be aware of Ross touting records at times. On a recent show, he highlighted his and Fezzik's records over the previous few seasons, and it's good. They've given a lot of good information. They've won a lot of bets, but one key thing the records don't account for is the VIG. I think that's a key oversight. Some listeners rightfully called it out, and on this week's episode, Ross acknowledged that pushback, but then he quickly dismissed it, and that didn't sit well with me. Fezzik was diplomatic in his response, and I wish he would have pushed back a little harder, since we know he gets it. And to bring this to life through an example, let's say you place 100 bets, all for the same amount, and go 52 and 48. At no VIG, that's a good record. You're a winning better up four units. But with the standard VIG of minus 110, you could go 52 and 48, winning more than half your bets, and that still has you as a losing better. So I think we get good insight from both hosts on this podcast, and I like Ross a lot, but just because your podcast is called Even Money doesn't mean your bets are even money. So something to keep in mind when you listen to this one. Now moving on to Fezzik's bets from this week's episode. The first one he offered, Cleveland under 8.5 regular season wins. He noted the Browns' history of failure as an organization, but he did admit to upgrades on the roster and the coaching staff. And I'd think that, plus the cheaper price on this year's team, would actually reflect some value. I get it if the Browns' pattern of dysfunction keeps you off them, but I don't see that alone as a reason to bet against this year's version of the team. Moving on in the AFC, Fezzik mentioned that he's on Denver over 7.5, primarily because he likes quarterback Drew Locke. And going out of order with podcasts a bit and weaving in sharp angles, Warren Sharp on his team this week mentioned that they're low on Denver. In their eyes, the jury's still out on Locke, Warren and his team don't like the Denver quarterback as much as Fezzik, and they called out that he put up some good numbers down the stretch in 2019, but that came at a conservative offense, and we still don't have evidence that Locke can do this without the training wheels. Also, the market seems high on some enticing additions the Broncos made at skill positions, drafting wide receivers Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler, and also signing running back Melvin Gordon. But continuity remains an issue for this team, and not just at the skill positions. They're also lacking continuity along their offensive line. They'll have three new starters this season, including a rookie center. And they also have a new offensive coordinator for good measure. So on the Sharp Angles podcast, the recommendation was Denver under 8 wins at minus 130. And I'll note that the truer price for the Broncos under 8 right now would be in the range of minus 150. So again, Take these lines and the prices we get on different podcasts with a grain of salt. Shop around for yourself. Fezzik's line on even money of the 7.5 over that he likes would be closer to a bet you could make with flat big to the over or the under. And overall, I respect Fezzik's opinion. I respect Warren Sharp's opinion and the thoughts of his team. So when Fezzik and Warren Sharp disagree, usually I'm going to stay away. And that's what I'll do with regard to the Broncos win total. Now back to the Even Money podcast, another bet from Fezzik this week, Indianapolis under 9 wins. I don't recall them mentioning the VIG on the podcast, but you can find the Colts to go under 9 in the range of plus 120. And Fezzik mentioned liking the under because he doesn't see Rivers as much of an upgrade over Jacoby Brissett, and I'm just going to have to disagree on the quarterback evaluation, both in terms of talent and fit. Looking at talent, Rivers is 38, I know he's well past his prime, but we're talking about a borderline Hall of Famer here. If he doesn't get enshrined in Canton, he'll at least get strong consideration. 
And it's tough for the peak for a quarterback like Brissett to even approach the valley for somebody like Phillip Rivers. And when we talk about the fit with Rivers and the Colts, we should see Rivers benefit from reuniting with Colts head coach Frank Reich. In the good old San Diego days, Reich was with the Chargers from 2013 to 2015 as the quarterback coach and offensive coordinator. Bouncing back to the Sharp Angles podcast one more time, they also did a deep dive on the Colts this week, and they seemed bullish on Indianapolis. They noted that Rivers gets a huge upgraded offensive line, and not only is this offensive line good, but they have a lot of continuity that's a big plus in a season like 2020. And it's an even bigger plus when we consider that the offensive line upgrade gets magnified for Rivers as an immobile quarterback. He was one of the best passers in the NFL with a clean pocket last season despite the rumors of his demise, so with way more clean pockets headed his way with the Colts, we might see a bounce back. But in fairness, it's not all rosy with Rivers, just like it's not all rosy with Big Ben coming back. In the case of Rivers, his fading accuracy for the deep ball is a fair concern. That is something that might give Vezik an edge with playing the Colts to go under, but it doesn't seem like it should really be the death knell for this Colts passing game. One reason why? The deep ball is not nearly as big of a factor near the goal line, and that's where Frank Reich is a really good play caller as a willing passer. Most teams in the NFL get way too conservative inside the five-yard line, and Reich's play calls can keep defenses honest, and that has a way of turning threes into sevens on the scoreboard. From a high-level standpoint, the last nine games in 2019, the Colts had a lead in seven of them after halftime, and they only won two of those games. That's a sign of some pretty bad luck that tends to regress toward the mean. And so overall, from a betting approach with the Colts, we've got Fezzik looking to play under, a lot of reasons for optimism going the other way from the Sharp Angles podcast. I'm going to stay away from a preseason win total bet, but I will look to play on the Colts early in the season when Rivers is fresh, and I think he's going to mesh with his new team a lot more quickly than some of the market would expect. And now, sticking with the Sharp Angles podcast, Thursday's episode focused on how to approach the unique elements of a pandemic season, and they started with talking about injuries. Their closest parallel to this season, where we've had such a condensed offseason, goes back to 2011 with the lockout, and they mentioned a study that showed condition-related injuries increasing by 38% back in 2011. Now, I'm always a little skeptical of reports on increased injuries. It seems like we get them at the start of every season, but the Sharp Angles team does its homework, so I do think it's something to watch, and it's going to test teams both with their depth and their adaptability. We're already seeing it with a few teams. The 49ers wide receiver core is getting beat up left and right, and the Giants and Browns are already spread thin on defense. Looking at the compressed offseason in a broader sense, there was a good two-way conversation on whether it's more of a hindrance for offense or defense, and from an offensive standpoint, you can see it disrupting timing and chemistry, but on the defensive side of the ball, there's minimal practice time with minimal physicality, and that means tackling and stamina could be major issues early on. Looking back to 2011 for reference, over the first two weeks of the season, 77% of the games went over the total. In fact, overs were still hitting at more than 60% through five weeks, and after that, the defenses caught up. So this would support looking at overs early in the season, especially if we get some games involving offenses with continuity. We can look at team totals or full game totals if both teams have a lot of continuity on offense, but there's another side to this debate. And that's that offensive lines in passing games could really struggle out of the gate due to their own lack of prep time. So combining both sides of the discussion, I think there are three things we can anticipate in the first few weeks of the season. Number one, more rushing. 
It'll be quicker for offenses to gel with the ground game than the passing game, and defenses are likely to struggle with physicality, so that could mean more handoffs than passes than we would typically see early on in a season. I also think we'll see more tempo as defenses are likely to struggle with stamina. A smart offense will want to take advantage of that by pushing the pace. And speaking of smart offenses, we should see some more creativity early on from smart play callers because there's nothing going on film this preseason, and that means greater opportunity to catch opponents off guard in the early going. So these were some really good angles explored by Warren Sharp and his team, and I think the betting takeaway is to pay attention to both sides of the ball and be ready to act quickly if one side is struggling more than the other. One more thing worth mentioning from the Sharp Angles podcast this week was a good take from Rich Rebar on Josh Jacobs, and this was mainly from a fantasy football standpoint, but I think there's something we can take away from it as betters. Rebar noted that Jacobs is a great player, but there's a lot of hype around him having an increased role in the pass game, and that could be pretty far-fetched in reality. Almost all of the Raiders' targets from last year are returning to the team, and Theo Riddick was just added as a pass-catching threat out of the backfield. So... Bottom line, I'm going to look for prop betting opportunities to take Josh Jacobs under his total for receiving yards. All right, well, that was a lot of football. A lot of good info from a lot of podcasts this week, but this show, about more than just football. So let's transition to a segment we can call What We're Drinking. And we're going to put the hops and props and hops in a big way with our first show beer, and that would be Pliny for President. Pliny for President is a double dry hopped West Coast double IPA by Russian River Brewing Company in Windsor, California. And with two conventions in these past two weeks, it seems like as good a time as ever for a beer with this name. We're in a pretty charged political climate these days, but Pliny for President gives us a candidate we can all get behind. It pours a clear golden orange with notes of citrus and pine, and it's even a little floral. There's a bitter finish with a really nice crisp mouthfeel. Overall, Pliny for President is a more flavorful, more-in-your-face take on the iconic Pliny the Elder. And for the first time, this year Pliny for President is being canned, and you can get it shipped throughout the state of California. That's one of the biggest silver linings of the pandemic, if you ask me. Relaxed shipping and distribution regulations have made a lot of really good beer a lot more accessible. One note I would like to call out and give a hat tip to Russian River for, most breweries when they ship are offering a one-case minimum. That's 24 cans. It's a pretty big commitment. Russian River is offering Pliny for President in increments of 16 cans, so... Overall, we've got something that's about as good as it gets and about as accessible as it gets. In my book, Planning for President, worthy of our votes. And with that, it's just about time to wrap things up here. But first, let's recap this week's portfolio with a segment called What We're Betting. 60% of the time, it works every time. We're looking at a split ticket on Tampa Bay regular season wins under 10 at minus 126 and the alt-under, 8.5, plus 220. I'm putting two-thirds of the amount on the under 10, and one-third of the amount on the under 8.5 for the Buccaneers' regular season win total. I'm also looking at Cleveland to make the playoffs at plus 115, Washington regular season wins over 5 at minus 130, and Week 9, Washington plus 1 at home against the Giants, Washington enters that game off their bye, and by that point in the season, I think there's a good chance the market views Washington as the better team in the first place. 
And one last thing before signing off, I'd like to dedicate this first episode of Props and Hops to David Molinsky. If you're listening, chances are you're already familiar with Dave, and for those who aren't, he was a legend in the sports betting community and in virtually all walks of life. As successful as Dave was at betting, it was just a small part of who he was, and really from food and drink to music and books and appreciating nature, Dave just lived the good life. He tragically passed away in a hiking accident in the spring of 2018, and even though he's no longer with us, I think it's so clear that his impact lives on through the lives of so many who knew him. On a personal note, two of the most important things in my life happened in 2014. One of them was getting married to my beautiful and brilliant wife. I just outkicked my coverage by a mile on that front. And the other thing was discovering David Molinsky through his point-blank column on pregame.com. The moment I discovered it, I was a religious reader. I read it throughout the pregame days and then on Sportsbook Review when Dave moved over to that site. And really, the forums were the stuff of legends. There were so many sharp contributors. Dave was so timely in his responses. I don't think there could have been a better way for anybody to learn how to become a better better than to contribute to the Point Blank forums and read Dave's words every day. Beyond that, I loved listening to the Dream Podcast that Dave would go on with RJ Bell and Steve Fezzik, and then it became a dream come true when he approached me in 2017 to host a podcast with him. We did it, it was called House of Yards, and it was nothing but a joy. So I wouldn't be doing this if not for Dave. I think betters, beer drinkers, and countless others are better off because of him, and I'd like to end it with a timely quote from Dave. This quote came in an email when he and I were planning our first House of Yards episode after the Las Vegas shooting in 2017, and it was a really heavy situation when we knew our show that week would be a diversion if nothing else. And as Dave put it, what we need to do best is move on to better things and make sure that we get into motion rather than being paralyzed by the shock. Fast forward about three years, and with everything going on in the world right now, in typical David Malinsky fashion, his words resonate as clearly today as when he first wrote them. And I can't think of a more fitting way to end the first episode of Props and Hops, so that'll do it for this week. Thank you so much for listening, and until next week, let's bet well, let's drink well, and let's be well. Thank you.